Hi, my name's India. This is Be More Orca, Buck the Menopause. Now, I'm not a medic, or an expert, or a celebrity. I'm just going through it myself. I was totally blindsided by my symptoms. I knew nothing about this stage of my life. And then I discovered neither did any of my friends. So I'm on a mission to find out everything I can, explore every avenue to help us manage our symptoms and get our lives back on track. Today I'm talking to my fourth inspirational orca, the brilliant Emma Kennedy, author, actress, former lawyer, amazing cook and downright renaissance woman. Hi, Emma. Thank you so much for coming and talking to me. Oh, my pleasure. I suppose I want to start at the beginning. When did symptoms first start for you? I would say about five years ago. I had my my very last period five years ago, but there was a, a sort of a gap of 18 months prior to my penultimate one. So in that 18 months leading up to that... The first thing that I was aware of was this sudden incredible hot flush where I was literally dripping sweat, just completely out of the blue. And I thought, oh, crikey, this this is going to be absolutely horrific. It, when I say pouring with sweat, I mean properly pouring with sweat. And it got to the point where I just stopped caring about how much sweat was pouring off of me because you just reach that point, don't you, with hot flushes where it's like, if people around me can't cope with it, I don't give a flying fig anymore. It's like I don't care. At the beginning, I really cared and I found it quite embarrassing and, and I was self-conscious about it. But towards the end, I couldn't care less. And I, I will tell you a story. I was asked to go to a meeting with Robbie Williams and his people. Oh, as you do. To work on a project that they were thinking about. And I'd never met any of them before, obviously. And I sat down and I started chatting and then I could feel, oh, here it comes. Massive, massive hot flush. And it was a really sweaty one. And I just picked up a napkin and just stuck it on my forehead and continued the meeting <laughs> because I just didn't care anymore. I just I was just past caring at this point. So to me, it was just like, no, I'm just going to stick it up there and it'll mop it up. So there was that. I had really bad night sweats, which I sort of coped with for a bit, but actually they were the, they were the thing that I found the most distressing because I wasn't sleeping properly because of them. And I think the lack of sleep is the thing that really, really kills you in menopause. It impacts everything. It impacts absolutely everything. So those two things were my main starting symptoms. And then they seemed to drop off. Were you having periods at this point? No, I, I stopped having periods five years. My last period was five years ago. And the hot flushes came after. It, they, they were before, and they were, and they were a bit after. But then they tailed off, and that was when I, I like to call this my smug period. I would say my smug twelve months, <laughs> where I was literally laughing at people who were crying for HRT. I literally sort of had a semi, a, not an argument, but I had a semi exchange with Mariella Frostrup on Twitter, uh, who is advocating for HRT and everyone should have HRT. And then I said, well, look, you know, counterpoint, I'm out the other side and it's, it's sort of fine, it's fine and I've done it and it's, you know, you don't have to go on HRT, blah, blah, blah. Well, 
So about 12 months ago, the palpitations began and the skipping heartbeats and all that started, but it was very sporadic. But the worst thing that kicked in about a year ago was anxiety. And I am somebody who, no, I have never had anxiety in my life, ever, ever. I mean, it's quite fortuitous that you're talking to me at this point because I'm currently wearing a heart monitor because this all kicked off about three weeks ago and I thought I was dying. I was carted off in the back of an ambulance. Oh, my God. I literally turned to my wife and said, if I die, please make sure the Lego goes to the people who subscribe to my Patreon. <laughs> Not even joking. I literally thought this was it. I'm dying. I'm, I'm, I'm dying. They were so bad and so intense and so frequent. I, my heart rate was over 130 for eight hours. Oh, my God. You know, it was bad. It was really bad. So I was referred to a cardiologist. She saw me the next day and my blood pressure was fine. My ECG was fine. The ultrasound they did of my heart was fine. So this is all normal. So it's like, what is going on? So hence I'm on the heart monitor for two weeks. But here comes here comes the two factors that are interesting to me. Now, the heart monitor goes back on Thursday, so I won't know for another sort of week, 10 days as to what exactly is going on. First week of having monitor on, it was horrific. It was like, this is crazy madness. And then my cardiologist rang me with my blood test results and all my blood test results were fine and were normal. So thyroid's fine, all my kidneys, function, all, all those functions are fine, except for I had horrifically high cholesterol. So my cholesterol was 7.2, which is really high. The high end of normal is five. So I'm 7.2. I'm on the cusp of it being dangerous. I love cheese. What can I say? <laughs> I love cheese. <laughs> I can no longer have cheese. What's the point of living? Oh, no. So I immediately from that point began Operation Cholesterol. So I now I don't eat cheese. Well, anything that's sat fats are higher than 3.5, basically. Okay, so that's my new regime. At the same time, I was sent to see a menopause specialist because there was just something. So that's what I was going to say to you. At any point when you were in A&E being hooked up to a heart monitor, did anyone go, well, you're mid-50s, maybe we should look at it being the men? Yeah, my cardiologist did, yes. So we discussed that because I, I just said to her, you know what, I just don't think I've got an underlying heart condition. I genuinely think this is the menopause. So all these heart explorations that are happening are basically just to eliminate the serious, mega serious stuff. So I go to see the menopause specialist. I sit in her office and I tell her, first time in my life I've ever cried in front of a doctor. That's how sort of desperate I was feeling at this point. Actually cried. I'd never even contemplated HRT, number one, because I thought I'd come through it. And number two, my family has a very serious history of breast cancer. So, you know. Yeah. Anyway, so I had a really good chat with her and she was absolutely brilliant. She's put me on the lowest dose of estrogen that you can be on, which is 25. I have that in patches twice a week on Fridays and Tuesdays. And I have to take a progesterone tablet every evening. India... I've only been on it three days. I am transformed. Yeah, yeah, it is. I am transformed. <laughs> the sleep. Yeah. That's the big thing. The progesterone tablet. I never don't want to have a progesterone tablet before I go to bed now as long as I live. 
Yeah. It's like, what is this magic voodoo that they're all keeping from us when we could all be really happy and we could all be really healthy and we could all be feeling fabulous and they're all like, oh, no, you don't want HRT. Yes, we bloody do want HRT, actually. So I've changed my mind entirely on it. Yeah, because as you touched on, your family... The tragedy of your grandmother, your mum. And my aunt, the all same branch of the family as well. You thought, I am not going near it with a barge pole. Yeah, can't go near it. But, but the menopause specialist that I saw, she was rightly hesitant about it, given the family history. And that's why she's only put me on the, the smallest dose possible. But she showed me a chart where she said, OK, this is your increased risk if you are on HRT. So it was like this amount of women will get breast cancer and then there's like four more will get it because of HRT. Then she showed me how many more women will get it if they drink alcohol and it was like one more if you drink alcohol and I don't drink alcohol anymore. And then she showed me uh, the one of if you are overweight. That's the scariest one. And that was literally off the scale. And I have lost three stone over the last 18 months. Wow. How have you done that then? Well, here's another story. So in end of May 2021, I had my second AstraZeneca jab and I just got really unlucky and I had a really bad reaction to it. And I got ophthalmic nerve shingles. And that laid waste to me for six months. Basically, I couldn't do anything for the rest of that year. Couldn't do anything at all. It was quite the look. I had a massive lesion above my left eye and it genuinely looked like I had someone else's anus on my forehead. (laughs) That's what it looked like. And the shingles brought back my asthma. When I lived in London, I used to ride around on a Vespa. And so, of course, I got asthma. Of course I did. If I'm riding around on a Vespa for 30 years, what a twat (laughs) without a mask on. Yeah, yeah, no, that's not going to do anything to your lungs, Emma, no. Anyway, so we moved to the countryside and my asthma disappeared. Uh, So I was quite annoyed that this bout of shingles had brought it back, but it, it was so severe that I had to go to a pulmonary physio to learn how to breathe again. Oh, my God. Honestly, the end of 2021 was absolutely shocking. It was shocking. But, you know, I didn't die, so that's the main thing. So beginning of 2022, after my pulmonary physio had shown me that there was light at the end of the tunnel because I really felt desperate, she said to me, now we've got you breathing better, I want you to start an exercise programme in 2022. And so in January... I found this exercise program called Six Pack Revolution, which sounded nonsense because, you know, I've got no interest in having a six pack. I just wanted to improve my health and get better and blah and get fit. And it was amazing. It was life changing experience called Six Pack Revolution. And you do it at home. And it's an absolutely brilliant program. You don't need a gym. You just need to get a pair of battle ropes and everything else is you use your own body to exercise. It's a really good way of easing yourself in if you are not fit. Every day you have to do this thing called dailies. So in week one, you have to do every day, you have to do 10 press-ups, 10 glute exercises and and some ab exercises. And it's really, you know, it's, it's nothing. But on day one, you can't do one press-up. No. But by the end of the week, you can do 10. 
And then in week two, you do 20. And then in week three, you do 30. And by the end, you're doing 110. On day one, you think there is absolutely no way I'm going to be able to do 110 press-ups. But guess what? You can. On Wednesdays and Saturdays, you're given a physical challenge to do. So it's always changing and it's never the same. So you don't get bored of it at all. And you you reach a point where you're actually actively looking forward to the new challenge dropping so you can do it. But it's a really, really clever, brilliant program. There is a diet that goes with it, but I couldn't eat all of it. It's the only diet I've ever been on where I couldn't eat all the food. Well, as in the quantity of it? Yeah, I couldn't eat. I couldn't eat it all. You have to eat six times a day and I couldn't do it. I couldn't manage the the mid-morning snack and I couldn't manage the after-supper snack. So I could do breakfast, I could do lunch, I could do the afternoon snack and I could do supper and then that was was me done. But um, it's life-changing. I've lost three stones, so there we go. So then it must have been really galling, though, that then having done all this to get fit and healthy, your heart starts going crazy. Yeah, it's infuriating. I kind of think it's a combination of cholesterol and uh, menopause, but it's very noticeable to me how much better I feel. Now I've had some a small amount of east, a measly amount of estrogen pumped into me, and yeah, I, I mean, I, I started, I started on Friday, and it's now Monday, and I feel like, oh, okay, I can go for a run now. <laughs> Don't while well, you've got the heart monitor on, though, eh? That's probably no, not I'm a not plan. going to. Well, I've got the heart monitor <laughs> on, though, but it's crazy. It's crazy, but also quite heartening because I'm absolutely convinced I haven't got an underlying heart condition. Cut to. <laughs> Cut to my my cardiologist going, no, I'm sorry, you've got you've got very serious arrhythmia problems and you're going to have to be on beta bloggers for the rest of your life. But that's that's extraordinary. So are you now thrilled that you're on HRT now? Is this something that you're going to carry on for the rest of your life? My menopause specialist said to me when she said, OK, I'm going to prescribe you some estrogen and progesterone. She she looked at me and she just went, your eyes just lit up when she when I <laughs> she said that to me. And I suppose, I mean, I am aware, I am aware that there's part of me that thinks, okay, this is going to solve all my problems. And it probably won't. You know, I've I've definitely got high cholesterol and I've got to bring that down. So that will be a contributory factor. And we wait and see what the cardiologist says. But at the moment, I just think anything that helps you feel better then just flipping take it. And the thing is, apparently, Dr. Katie, the specialist that I have for this podcast, she says that you can take it for 12 months without adverse effects. And if it helps you, you can carry on. And if it doesn't, then stop it. And you will have done nothing to hurt yourself in those 12 months. Interesting. Interesting. I thought you were going to say, your HRT specialist, when she said, I want to put you on a low dose, I thought you were going to go, your eyes went, no, 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 I can't. Because obviously this was quite entrenched in you, this idea that HRT was just a no-go because of your breast cancer risk. Yeah, well, I'm not sure I want to be on a higher dose because of my family history. But then having said that, I'm already on the Royal Marsden Family Screening Programme, so I have a mammogram every year. So I'm pretty confident that if touch all the wood, yeah, if the worst happens and I get it, which touch wood it will not happen, then it'll be early. But you know what? I mean, I, I, I don't know about you, but you, but do you ever think to yourself, oh, I'm more like my mum or I'm more like my dad? Yeah. Like physically. I am definitely more like my dad physically. 
So it may well be that I'm never going to get breast cancer. And my mum, she first was diagnosed in her 60s. So she was 61 and she was enjoying the evening tipples uh, every day and was overweight. Which, as we've just discovered, both of us from this lovely chart that they show you, is actually more of an increased risk than... I mean, I, I, I think the two things you can do... I've also given up caffeine, by the way, which also helps with palpitations. But I do think the two things you can do to help yourself is, number one, stop drinking alcohol. And I never thought I would stop drinking alcohol. I absolutely loved a glass of wine. Absolutely loved it. I was classic middle-class drinker. Never, ever drank alcohol to get drunk. Never. I can't even remember the last time I was drunk. But what I did do is, oh, I'm cooking supper, so I'll have a glass of wine while I'm cooking supper. Yeah. And then I'll have a glass of wine after supper. And then sometimes, oh, it's that. let's have another glass. So we would end up having two, three glasses every day. Yeah, yeah, it's that low level. Yes, and it's not a dependency. It's a habit. It's just a habit because it's there and, oh, you associate chopping with a nice glass of wine and chatting. Yeah. Now, well, let's sit down after supper. Oh, let's have a nice glass of wine. That's, there's nothing wrong with this, is there? Yeah, there is. There is because you are racking up the units. So when did you give up booze? Then? I gave up when I got shingles, so 18 months ago. The only thing I missed was that feeling of reward at the end of the day, when you've been sitting writing all day or whatever, it's that feeling of reward. But I've discovered something. So I now have four non-alcoholic versions of a drink. And one is a zero zero Guinness, which is absolutely brilliant. You wouldn't know it's not Guinness. There is a lager called Klaus Thaler, which is absolutely fantastic. There is a spirit company called Lyre, L-Y-R-E, who do a thing called Dry London Spirit. And if you have that with some tonic and a slice of lemon and some ice in it, you wouldn't know you're not drinking a gin and tonic. Really? Because I've always been amazed by the non-alcoholic spirits because you think, well, hang on a minute, isn't that just going to taste like tonic water? No, the Liar Dry London Spirit is absolutely brilliant. And the other one I have is kombucha instead of champagne. So the only drink that I have found no non-alcoholic substitute for that is nice is wine. They, they haven't got there yet with wine. But if you fancy Prosecco or champagne, just have a glass of, of kombucha in a champagne glass and then your brain thinks you're drinking champagne. But what I have now discovered is that that reward part of my brain now kicks in when I have those non-alcoholic drinks. I always think it's that thing of the drink is to delineate between, as you say, working day and relaxing day. Exactly, because I don't have any of those non-alcoholic drinks before the evening. So it feels like a special treat. But it's just about retraining your brain. It's about creating a different habit. So, Emma, we are back again. 
Yes, we've had a bit of a technical nightmare trying to do this one, haven't we? I think you refer to it as a technical omni-shambles is, is what <laughs> we have experienced today. And pretty much every single step of it has been entirely my fault. No, that's not true. That's not true. It's things conspire against us. So you've been running around looking for a charger. Yes, my laptop decided to just die on me. Yep. <laughs> and then we thought we'd recorded and we had issues with the upload. So we're back again. We we're back again. Third time lucky. Third time's a charm. Thank you very much for taking the time to, to come back. So trying to think back all those hours ago now where we were, I wanted to talk to you about your mum and whether you were aware of her experiences of the menopause when you were growing up. The only thing I was aware of, because obviously when she was going through the menopause, I had left home. I was a grown up person by then. But I, I distinctly remember her having hot flushes and I can remember laughing at her about her hot flushes and thinking it was hilarious. And I vividly now remember her standing and looking at me and just saying, just you wait. <laughs> so, yes, you were correct. You were correct, Mum. <laughs> you had that one absolutely nailed down. But other than that, she didn't ever sort of discuss the gritty ins and outs of what she was going through. She would occasionally sort of say that she had suffered 16 years of devastating menopause symptoms, but she never went into anything beyond that. So I just thought she was talking about hot flushes. I didn't have a clue about any of the rest of it. Oh, that's interesting. So she did consider that she'd had devastating menopause symptoms, but she was hiding them, as I think so many women were and still do. It is astonishing to me that really up until about six weeks ago, when my heart palpitations started increasing and I was becoming really aware of the anxiety that was coming in and around those, that was the first time I actually looked up on the internet what symptoms can be caused by the menopause. And I was astonished at the list. Yeah, it's a scary list, isn't it? Absolutely astonished by it. And I think it's something that we're all guilty of. I think most people are aware that you get a bit hot when, when the menopause comes and night sweats, maybe. But I had no idea about the rest of it. Absolutely none. And it's all encompassing as well, isn't it? I mean, it can affect every single aspect of your life. Yeah. And so you obviously didn't feel that your symptoms weren't manageable before the heart palpitations. You and Mariella Frostrop having this argument, it was something you could ride through. Yeah, I think I had just accepted that you get hot sweats and you get night sweats when when you're menopausal and, you, and at some point you come out the other end of that. That was my understanding of it. And that was your experience of it up until the palpitations? And then the anxiety and the heart palpitations arrived and that took me by surprise, really. Yeah, absolutely. Well, anxiety isn't something that you associate with it. Well, it creeps up on you. It creeps up on you. It's funny, when I saw my menopause specialist, she asked me about whether it was impacting my job. And, and at that point, I realised that I'm in a very lucky position in that I'm self-employed and the job that I do is, is being on my own during the day and writing. That's my primary job. But if I was working in an office, there's absolutely no way I could have been at work for a, a large 
part of of the last year, I would say. And that's quite impactful. If I'm having a bad day, I can get up from my desk and just sort of wander off and go for a walk and and take the dogs out or go and sit in the garden or or go to my Lego shed and do some Lego or whatever. And then it'll pass, that feeling will pass and I can come back to my desk and start writing again. But you can't do that if you're working in an office. You can't sort of just suddenly get up and pick up your bag and put your coat on and go, oh, I'll, I'll see you in an hour and a half. Can't do it. No, hopefully the workplace is getting to a stage where it's going to be a bit more menopause friendly. I think there are some brilliant women doing some brilliant things. So you felt you were nearly out the other side, you were saying. Yeah, I thought I was done and dusted with it. So it's been sort of a a real annoyance to me (laughs) that more pernicious symptoms have now presented themselves. But as I said earlier, I mean, I've been on HRT since Friday and I already feel vastly better, like vastly better. Haven't had any heart racing, had absolute minimal fluttering, minimal fluttering and before it was quite pronounced, and I don't feel even remotely anxious anymore. I mean, it's bizarre. But do you know what? It kind of makes me angry. It makes me angry that lots of women are told that they can't have HRT or their doctors won't prescribe it for them. Yeah. And what that suggests to me is that there are hundreds of thousands, if not millions of women out there just struggling and just getting by because they think that this is what they have to do. And it's been like a revelation to me the last three days. And a friend of mine, I was talking to her before I went to see the menopause specialist, and she said, I didn't realize how ill I was until I started taking HRT and how much better I then felt. That is the thing. That was exactly my experience. It's only when you have the clarity that you look back and go, oh my God, where had I gone to? As you say, it's incremental deterioration. It creeps up. And you don't realise how low you've got. And you just think, oh, you know, yeah, I'm just going to be a mad old lady now and this is what happens when you're over 50. Do you know what, India? Can you imagine if there was a condition that affected men in this way where they would be conditioned to think that no HRT is on rations, thanks, and only some of you are going to get it. Or women said, no, you're not allowed it. I'm not going to prescribe this to you. It's it's scandalous. I know. Well, I was saying the older I get, the more feminist I become, actually. You know, I thought, well, people have done that before me. It's fine. I'm lucky in the generation that I live in. But I've become much more angry in the setup of the world since hitting menopause. Was rage ever anything that you... No, I've never had a problem with rage, full-on rage. My mother had a great problem with rage, so I think I've been conditioned. I deal with people who are in a fury very well. I'm very good at talking people down. That's now in my DNA. So, I mean, I've, I've been married now almost 10 years and we still haven't had an argument. Wow, that's impressive. I know. And your wife, is she similar age? No, she's, I did very well, India. I married someone who was 13 years younger than me. I did tremendously well in that regard. So no, she's not there yet, no. But I'm kind of glad that I've gone before her because I'm just going to tell her to just get on HRT much sooner because I would have done. I would have done if I'd known. Interesting that even with your family background and your breast cancer risk, because I think so many people who do have a breast cancer history in their families just go, oh, well, I can't, I can't. And it's a sort of blanket terror. Yeah, well, that's what I thought. 
But you can, you can do it and don't have to have the 100 slam of estrogen, which is the absolute maximum. I think most people are on 50 and I'm very happy on 25 and so far so good. It seems that that just that little bit is helping me enormously. Yeah. And as we said before, it's about quality of life getting better. So then you can actually do all the other, the getting fit and the getting healthy and having the headspace to give up booze or give up coffee? Uh, Yeah, the risk is greater if you drink alcohol and it's about five times greater if you are overweight. So it's a no-brainer. You know, I'm still in the process of I've got one more stone to go and then I shall be healthy weight. So I'm still on that journey. I can't ever imagine that I'll drink again. So from here on in, it's all about making the rest of my life as healthy as it possibly can be. Which is an amazing place to be moving forward. I personally feel and what I want to discuss in these Orca interviews is the idea that actually menopause isn't the end of anything. It's the start of a new chapter. Do you feel that? Yeah, it definitely feels as if this is the start of the rest of my life. And what I mean by that is it's now all about looking after myself and about being as healthy as I possibly can be. You know what? I had a damn good run with cheese. (laughs) I had a damn good run with wine. I had a lovely time with pizzas and sausages were incredible. But I move on. Hello, avocados. (laughs) Hello, bananas. Hello to you. So it's fine. Yeah. And actually, I find this is a really exciting time of my life for me. I'm doing new things. I'm trying new things. I'm feeling much more confident. Do you feel the same way? Yeah. Do you know what? Recently, I don't know if you adhere to manifestations where if you sit and think about something, you can make it happen. Do you ever do that? Oh, all right. I believe in the power of the brain. Yeah, the power of the brain. So it's a technique you're taught when you do six pack revolution that you have to visualize. You have to visualize yourself doing something. You have to visualize yourself, like how you want to look. It's a really powerful tool. And actually, way, 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 way back in the midst of time, I was involved in a TV show called The Other Boat Race, where I had to do the Oxford and Cambridge Boat Race. And I was trained up for it, and it was amazing. Our coach, he was a guy called Martin Cross, who'd won a gold medal at the Olympics. And he used to make us close our eyes. We all had to lie on the floor, and he used to make us close our eyes, and we had to visualize the race. And this is actually a very common sports psychology technique. And athletes who do that successfully are apparently more successful. So visualization. So about six months ago, when I was probably at my lowest ebb, and I thought to myself, okay, I need to visualize myself out of this. Because also part of visualization is just about feeling positive and thinking that there are opportunities. And it's just a way of, it's like shifting your brain, shifting your mindset. And there was one thing, I've written pretty much everything I've ever wanted to write in my writing career. So I've written books, I've written for Danger Mouse, I've written for Paddington, you know, I've written for all of the things that I wanted to write for, but there's one thing I hadn't written and I really, really wanted to do it. And that was to write a screenplay for a film. And it's not a world that I've ever been involved in. It's not a world that I have contacts in or anything like that. Anyway, about... Four weeks after sitting and thinking about how I wanted to write a screenplay, I got an email from Katie Brand, who has just written uh, Good Luck to You, Leo Grand, with Emma Thompson in. And she said, I've been asked to adapt a a book by Terry Jones, and it's a children's book, and, and I wanted to know if you wanted to write it with me. 
So that's what I'm now doing. I'm writing a film. That's amazing. Yes. Is that bonkers? Well, you know, I think the power of our brains is not to be reckoned with. Because all the doctors talk about, well, the placebo effect. I was talking to Dr. Katie about the fact that she said testosterone is very good, but actually the people on the placebo had the same improved cognitive things. And I think, well, actually, if you just mentally think you're doing something to help yourself, then it's 90% of the battle, isn't it? So, yeah, so it's like with my HRT, I really genuinely believe that it is going to fix all the palpitation and the anxiety. And, and it has, because I believe it is. So it is. That's brilliant. I love the idea of that. We should all be visualising our menopause as a positive thing. And there is light at the end of the tunnel and a much better life once we work out how we're going to deal with our symptoms. I have this etched into my heart like a stick of rock in Blackpool. And it's never give up. Never give up. And that's the thing is that we've all had moments in our lives where we can feel like it's all gone a bit hopeless and we can feel useless and like there's no way out of this. There's always a way out. There's always a way out. You just have to know what you're up against. Like any sort of risk assessment, you assess it and then you come up with a plan and then you execute the plan. I think that's brilliant. I love that. Always works. And that's where you are now. I'm executing the plan, yep. I've got the heart monitor on. Operation cholesterol is now in full swing. And I've got HRT patch on my hip. There you go. And is there any piece of advice that you wish you'd known that you would pass on to people struggling or just starting their menopause journey? I would say I would have gone to have seen a a doctor to talk about menopause much, much earlier. Much, much, much earlier, like literally as soon as I was getting, not so much as soon as I was getting the hot flushes, but certainly as soon as the night sweats kicked in and I was losing sleep and really suffering with that, I absolutely should have gone to see a doctor then. And don't be fobbed off. You know your body better than anybody else. And if you think something is off and something is wrong, then you can do something about it. Start getting ready in your 40s. And if you can't give up alcohol completely, just don't drink Monday to Thursday. That's a start. And just start tapering off because you know what, alcohol, yeah, it's sort of lovely, but you can have the exact same feelings with a non-alcoholic drink. And you really can. I've, I've learned that, that the reward aspect of alcohol, which was the thing that actually That was the bit that I liked, that sense of you've worked hard today, so now you can have a drink. I now get that feeling with a bottle of Klaus Thaler or a Finn and Tonic, as I like to call it. (laughs) Yeah. You will also find, especially as you cascade into your 50s, that hangovers are the devil's own work and you'll get a hangover from three drinks. Your body will start telling you when it's had enough. And I think that's pretty much what happened with me, was that my body just started saying, do you know what? We're done with this, thanks. And also the other thing about alcohol as you go into the menopause is that it lays down fat on your abdomen. And when you lay down fat on your abdomen, that's when you are increasing your risk of breast cancer. So it's all connected. It's all connected. And then you can also be that smug person on a Saturday morning. I don't miss feeling groggy in the morning. You have loads more energy and that's really what it's about. It's about having energy to do things. I 
never thought I would end up giving up alcohol. I, I thought I'd just stop drinking for a bit in order to get well and fit. But it turns out I've given it up. Because you love the way it makes you feel. Yeah. You see, that's brilliant. Yeah, and cheese as well, sadly. Cheese I'm actually sadder about than wine. Yeah. I love cheese, but, you know, it's not good for me. So it's like if someone handed you a pot of poison and said, go on then, do you want some of that? You wouldn't go, oh, yes, please. I'd really enjoy that poison. Thank you. But it tastes delicious. Cheese is now a poison to me, so... I've just got to wave it goodbye. Although my my wife had a, a cheese sandwich the other day and I made her take the top off so I could sniff it. <laughs> please, please, can I smell your cheese? Please, can I smell your cheese? So, yeah, I should have that. I should have menopause T-shirts made up, shouldn't I? Can I smell your cheese, please? <laughs> and I think that's a beautiful place to say thank you very much Emma you have been a delight and thank you for riding all of the technical issues it's been a nightmare (laughs) it's an absolute nightmare (laughs) I'm just glad we got to fix it we did and we fixed it brilliantly thank you my pleasure bye-bye Obviously, I want to stress that any decision you take about HRT, you need to talk to a doctor, or better still, a menopause specialist, about your personal case and your personal risk association beforehand. Next time, I'm talking to the menopause powerhouse that is Diane Danzebrink about how totally unprepared she was for her surgical menopause after suspected ovarian cancer and her devastating mental symptoms, which brought her to the brink of suicide. But once she'd educated herself as to what was actually happening to her and got her symptoms under control, it lit a fire in her to make sure that no other woman suffered like she did. She founded the Make Menopause Matter campaign and works tirelessly to bring the menopause into the mainstream. If you want to be more orca, head to bemoreorcapod.co.uk For all the latest on what's coming up, I've cherry-picked articles to keep you informed so you don't have to sift through the news. And become a member. Tell me what matters to you and what questions you want answering. Help shape the pod and help other women just like you so we never have to feel like we're going it alone again. And if you've liked this episode, please subscribe as it helps with those pesky algorithms and lets others find us and become part of our pod. And follow me at b.more.orca for my no-filter menopause diary.